Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. Creative people, how they do their thing, why they do their thing, how they hang in there. That's what I love to talk about. Today, my guest wears many hats. His name is Rich Burns. He is the creator and star of the web series, The Disappointments, which I watched, I think during the holidays. I was sick with COVID. I was laid up and I watched the whole thing in one day. And it really spoke to me. It was about men in their 50s, the three gay friends in their 50s. Um, Rich plays Ray, and you also would recognize uh, Gede Watanabe, who plays Gary. And the other actor you probably recognize as well, James Matthew Campbell, plays James. And they're friends that have been friends for a long time, and they're in their 50s, and their life doesn't look the way they thought it would. That sounds like a recurring theme in some folks' lives. I think I relate to that. So I reached out to Rich, and um, they were shooting season two um, during the spring. So uh, he was very busy. But we finally made the interview happen, and they are actually in the throes of a crowdfunding campaign to raise money for the post-production on season two. So he talks a little bit about that. That's happening now. And if you love the series as much as I do, you may want to help him out. Um, He'll explain how that all works. Um, Before we get to that, though, I want to mention that there are two ways that you can enjoy this podcast. Dennis, anyone, uh, you can listen as you always do through your favorite podcast app, or you can become a subscriber to DNR Studios. I'm part of a group of shows, uh, this cool family of shows, DNR Studios. That's based on Derek and Romaine, who many of you know from the Sirius XM days. Uh, They've been friends of mine for a long time. Um, So for a monthly fee, you get my show early, and then you get all these other great shows as well, including Derek and Romaine. And you can learn about that at dnrstudios.com. Another way you can support the show is by donating to my virtual tip jar. Um, the show's pretty much brought to you by me. I don't have any big sponsors. You're not going to hear about BetterHelp or, <laughs> or you know, Squarespace or all the usuals, um, unfortunately. Oh, speaking of which, on Just Like That, Carrie Bradshaw was turning her nose up at that advertisement because she was just too cool to do it. Girl, if you get an ad, you fucking read it. It's podcasting. What are you doing? Ridiculous. Anyway... <laughs> Uh, This podcast is brought to you by me. So you can donate to my virtual tip jar if you like what you hear. It helps me cover the expenses. I really appreciate it. And you can do that at DennisAnyone.net. And um, you can also check out my cool new website that that I had this cool company organize my podcasting website. And it's all automatic now out of Lithuania. So you can do that too at DennisAnyone.net. Before we get to the interview with Rich, though, I also want to talk about Outfest, which is the LA Gay and Lesbian Film Festival. It's coming up, and I've been getting screeners in advance and trying to set up interviews, and I'm not sure which interviews are going to come together and if they'll be done in time to promote the actual screening. So I just want to tell you about three movies that I've already seen, and I'm trying to set up interviews. We're going to see what we do, but I want to just get in a good word for all three of these movies because I enjoyed them very much. There's one called Studio One Forever, which is a documentary... Um, from Mark Saltarelli, and uh, it's about the legendary gay disco Studio One in West Hollywood, where I went back in the day. Lots of stories. Um, And that's screening on Tuesday, July 18th at 7 p.m. if you're in L.A. Um, Another film that I loved so far that I've seen from Outfest is called Big Boys. It's a coming-of-age story with such a good performance in the lead kids. So good. And that's Saturday, July 22nd at 11 a.m. And I also saw a very adult kind of complicated, beautifully shot drama called The Mattachine Family about a couple who are trying to have a kid or want to have a kid. And it's um, it brings up a lot of stuff. And I, I really enjoyed it. Um, the two lead actors are amazing. 
uh, Nico Tortella and Juan Pablo de Pace. They reminded me of Marriage Story. They have this fight in a room, and I'm like, oh, that's just out of Marriage Story. <laughs> um, so anyway, that's showing also on July 22nd at 1.30. So I'm trying to set up interviews. We're going to see what kind of coverage we can do given my podcasting uh, production schedule, but I wanted to mention them, and you can learn about them at outfest.org. All right, that's enough of the plugs. Here now is the interview with Rich Burns, the creator of The Disappointments. Joining me now via Zoom from Los Angeles, it's Rich Burns. He's the creator of the web series The Disappointments. Uh, He writes it, directs it, uh, stars in it, does everything. And um, I watched this over the holidays when I was very sick. I had COVID, and it it really brightened my day. So I'm excited we're finally doing this interview. Hi, Rich. Dennis, hi. It's really good to see you. Yeah. Well, we, I, can, I, know, I mean, I can see you. You can see me. Um, yeah, we talked about doing this a while ago, and now it's finally happening because yeah. you've shot season two, and you're in the process of a, of a campaign to raise money for Post. Is that right? That is correct. We have seven days left in our campaign. We're um, we're shooting for $40,000 to pay for post-production, editing, sound editing, graphics, all of that stuff that goes on. The composing of the score, all these people um, who are professionals need to be paid. Um, and we are currently at 62% funded, which puts us between 25000 and 26000 Right on. So, yeah, we're, we're doing okay. Good for you. Uh, well, we're going to get this out with a few days left in your campaign, so maybe somebody listening to this can help you out and get you, uh, get you yeah. over the hump. Um, I related to this story so much and these characters. Talk to people that don't know anything about the show. How would you describe it? What's it about? Uh, the Disappointments is about a group of friends. Uh, they're in their, at the time, first season was late 50s, early to mid 60s. And they, um, they're sort of shaken by, uh, from their into reality by uh, the suicide of a close friend of theirs. And it makes them sort of sit back and look at their lives. <clears throat> and they realize nothing that they had planned for themselves, what they dreamed what their lives would look like when they were in their 20s, has really panned out. Their careers are just sort of tanked. Um, they don't have retirement put away. In fact, Ray, my character, is $60,000 in debt on his credit card with no way to pay that off. Um, they live in, um, you know, the dream was to have like, you know, amazing houses, maybe a house in Malibu and beautiful cars and being like the perfect relationship and having had traveled the world. And um, none of these things really happened for them. And so now here they are at this point in their life with sort of retirement looming in the not too far distance. And they're just thinking, number one, how did I get here? Right. And number two, how do, can I fix it? Is there enough time to fix it? Right. It's actually it's a it's a comedy. There's a, there's a lot of drama in the show too, but ultimately it's it's like a, got a dark comic look at this issue. Yeah, I get it. I relate to it so much. Um, there was a period in the last decade, in like 2015, where uh, I had hit a real rough spot in my career and found myself out of a job and and not able to find anything else for a long time, and I ended up in the hospital for a few days. Just I think all of the stuff together. Anyway. I, I remember laying there and thinking, I'm going to die. They're going to cut me open, and the autopsy is going to say he died of disappointment. That was going to be, um, that was the thing. Like, it, that's what it was going to say. And I, I'm not in that place anymore, thankfully. But I, it's not because I got all the things I wanted. It's because I shifted my head. 
mm-hmm. um, and in a in a huge way. Um, so so my favorite parts of the show are when the three of the friends are talking to talking together about what they're dealing with, like what the fuck is happening, what are we doing, um, and trying to hash it out. They don't always often come to answers, but I I've had so many of those conversations before. What was the germ of the idea for you? When did you conceive of it, and and how did it come out? It was actually, um, it was quite a while ago. It was uh, probably in the hmm, 2008, 2009 kind of area, I think. I'm trying to remember. I was living in Provincetown, but it happened in Los Angeles. So it's either before I moved to Provincetown in 2007 or during a return visit. Um, I had um, dinner with some friends of mine, and we were discussing, there was this whole slew of friends and acquaintances who had committed suicide right. over the course year and a half. And we were like, just, you know, going, what is it? What this is my one friend said um, that it was like an epidemic that it was was reminding him of the AIDS epidemic in a way, because it was these gay men who were just deciding, you know, it wasn't worth it to keep trying or it was, there was no hope. Um, And so very dark conversation, but out of it came this question of like, you know, what is it that causes people to stop, to give up. And what is it that some people keep going down the same path, even though that's kind of crazy because it's, you know, the the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Right. And then what is it about people who see that what they were doing is sort of a dead end and they make a choice and have faith that they can create a new path for themselves and be successful at that. Like friends, we had friends who, you know, they want one friend in particular I'm thinking of, he was an actor. He wasn't really, you know, he wasn't landing his career the way he'd hoped right. to. He became a therapist and he's very successful now. Right. And I admire those people who recognized the um the limits of their dream and that right. they had experience and it was probably lots of great joy in what they did do. They didn't accomplish ultimately the big goal. And so they they were mature enough to say, okay, well, I've had this experience. This is not going to take me where I wanted to go, so I'm going to choose a new goal. Right. Time to go to real estate school or a therapist school or whatever it is. Time yeah. to make the pivot. You know, even in my most down times, my scariest times, my lowest times, I could say to myself, I picked it. I picked it. This is what I wanted. Mm-hmm. I used to, my joke was I followed my bliss, but my bliss didn't know where it was going. Um, and I feel like that's kind of the st- story of this show. Um, and I think that you come at it from such a smart, well-observed way. You also write L.A. assholes so well. You have a variety of different L.A. assholes, a whole sort of range, the spectrum of L.A. assholes. Um, yeah. yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the fun you had creating some of those characters? And are they specific to L.A. or are they, would you find this anywhere? I think, well, I think in general, you can find them anywhere, but I think what makes them feel like LA are you know, some of the ones who have in the show, they have defined careers that feel rooted in LA. Right. Uh, like, you know, one is a, um, a television executive. Right. So that LA or New York pretty much. Um, but they were, what was so fun about these characters was, um, you know, you've got <clears throat> the three main characters, Ray, James and Gary. And I was constantly enjoying putting them in situations um, almost in like a um, curb your enthusiasm sort of way where everybody they encounter is basically an antagonist. Like, so, cause it's all about in my mind showing these guys um, 
you know, trying to make changes or whatever, but coming up against obstacles that cause them humiliation. Yeah. And that were like, I like that kind of comedy. Yeah. But doing it in a way like, I mean, I love the character, so I'm not like brutalizing them, but just finding the humor and then also finding the frustration that these guys feel when they're, um, they're caught in these situations. Yeah. Like one of your so, characters, um, I believe it's James, um, he gets hired to be a cater waiter at the memorial of the friend that dies of suicide, which is sort of like insult to injury. Um, but I love when you say there's no shame in being a cater waiter because I watched this the first time right around the time when I had watched Uncoupled, that show on Netflix with Neil Patrick Harris. And, the, and they, there was a part where they all sort of shat on the cater waiter, like it was a bad thing to be a cater waiter. And that's when I turned on Uncoupled. Because <laughs> I thought, like, I, shows with rich people where no one ever talks about money, where everyone has money, I get it, it's escapist and all of that stuff, but I found your show really refreshing because people are like, you, you're going to have to cut your cable bill. I don't know what you're doing. Like, why... You know, and saying the numbers that you're this much in debt, I just found there was so much power in that because I think we all have so much shame around um, where we are compared to other people, and I should be doing so much better. Um, what was it like to write some of that stuff? And it, was it cathartic in a way, or how did it feel? It was cathartic because you know I wanted to do something. I, I've had um, I've worked on a couple of uh, a string of, of successful animated series. Um, that uh, I guess all of them are on Netflix. Um, and uh, it oftentimes was a very um, suffocating experience just because, um, and I think this is sort of the culmination of everything that I've done as a professional writer. You know, you're always getting notes and you've got an idea that you love. And particularly when I've done original scripts and they've sold where I, like, I loved it so much and the notes you end up getting just, turn the idea upside down and, and things don't make sense anymore. And it loses so much of what was good about it and what was organic and what just sort of naturally kind of sang. And by pulling things out, it's like, you know, there's, I would just sort of pull my hair out because people weren't getting that by pulling those things out, you're making the whole thing kind of collapse like a souffle that just fails in the oven. Right. Uh, so the thing with the disappointments was, you know, I wanted to do something that, um, was just me and i i leaned into that so like i just was like i'm just going to expose various parts of myself um through my character ray but through the other characters as well and um i mean there was a time where i i think i was in my mid 40s early 40s actually and i was forty five thousand dollars in debt on a credit card and had no idea how i was going to pay it off and by some stroke of Fate, I ended up getting uh, a really good writing job, and it was gone within the first paycheck. Holy so, shit. That's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. but, but it's reckless. Like, right. I purposely, I, re, I did not want to get another job. Just like Ray doesn't want to get another job. He doesn't want to work at um, Office Depot stocking sparkle pens. You know, right. he wants writing. And um, I was the same way. So I was like, you know what? I have, I somehow am trusting this. I'm going to, live off my credit cards. I'm going to juggle balances. I owed that much money and I never paid a penny interest because I kept Moving taking things a, around one 0% card to another 0% card. And this is like, you know, that's about as clever as I've ever been with finances. Like right. I would like to be clever and, you know, figured out how to buy a house and how to like do those types of things, like taking it to a bigger level than just credit card debt. Yeah. Uh, 
manipulations. I, I wrote, when I wrote my notes when I was watching this originally, I wrote Office Depot-Crate and Barrel on my list. Because during that period of time when I was talking about when I was really not doing great, I took a seasonal job at Crate and Barrel because I just needed to do something. My nervous system was such a wreck that I needed to do something that I... I didn't. I, I had eight hours or ten hours a week. It was part time that I didn't have to make something happen. I just had to move those spatulas from there to there, and I did it for a while, part time, minimum wage. People that I worked with in the business would come to the back for their deliveries, and I'd take them their lamp or whatever. Right. And I I don't have shame around it. I there was something about it. It was freeing, right? In it a was way, freeing like- in a way, and it was fair. It made yeah. sense. You know, um, it was it was fair in a way that this other stuff isn't. Um, that's not a profound thought. We all know what it's like when you're in it. Like we pick it, but it was just it was something about it. And um, I, but I remember, wow, okay, a friend of mine. I was really in a not great place, um, and he offered me that he could get me in there because he had worked there. And I thought, well, I don't have any yeses left, but my friend might have one left for me. Like, I felt like that was the only way I was going to get a yes anywhere was through somebody else. And that, wow, okay. So that came up. Um, yeah. So office, the point is, I could have rocked the shit out of some Office Depot sparkle pen stocking. Also, I love office supplies. So, so there's that. Um, my favorite Hollywood asshole in your piece is Lane, the mm. TV executive who's cokey and such a dick, but... He's somebody that's in the business who always talks about helping you and never does. There's somebody in my life like that. And I appreciate all the nice things they've ever said, but they never, nothing ever happened. And I remember all the times I would get my hopes up. Is that something you've experienced with, with people? And I guess it's better than them not reading your stuff and not doing anything. But it was like, wow, I, there was somebody that I met so many times. I sent so many things. I really hoped, and just nothing ever, but lots of yak, 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 yak. I think it's, um, I, I think it's common. You know, I think that a lot of people want to be the good guy, right? And want, they probably do want to help their friends. But um, you know, there's a line in in the show that it was actually delivered to me in real life, in person, by the best friend of this one particular person, right? And, He's, he just basically said um, <clears throat> to me that, uh, you know, you can't count on him. He's, he, he means well, but he's not going to help you. He's a star fucker. And that it's what, what uh, means for him, for his career, he needs to land the star writers. Right. So, Helping you uh, isn't going to help him at all right. in and his so mind. It, it would cost him too much, um, you know, points. Yeah. I guess to, to help me. And, and, you know, I, I got that. And I, it's just, there's certain things that have happened to me in my, my professional career in particular that were um, humiliating. There's something that in season two, that is my favorite thing that I've ever pulled from my life and stuck in a, a show um, where while it's happening, I'm thinking this is so awful, but also while it's happening, I'm thinking I'm going to use this. Right. Like not even in a revengeful way. It's not even that, but it's like, this is actually funny to look at from the outside. This is 
it doesn't feel it's not funny inside while it's happening, but I have like this objective overview of looking at things sometimes while they're happening and going, that's a scene. Yeah. The absurdity of it. You're like, okay, I got to use this. And it was something that happened in the writing world through in your career. Yeah. All right. Well, I like that little tease. I'm into it. You had never acted before this. Is that right? That is correct. You do such Uh, a good job. It's really sweet. Thank you. I, I've, I'm, I'm learning. I'm, I'm better in season two than I was in season one. I think I had the good fortune of surrounding myself with some really talented actors, which helps. Um, I also wrote the part to be kind of close to me. Right. But I was going to cast, there were, there was a few actors that I was trying to, um, to get. Um, one of them um, is, I mean, this was, we're shooting, this was probably a conversation in 2018 and it was with um, Murray Bartlett. Oh, wow. Like, and it was before, you know, Murray has, has had this fantastic explosion. Right. It was right when um, he had, they had just put in the press that he had been cast in um, Tales of the City. Right. So that was the beginning of his real big climb up uh, the star ladder. And um, so he, we were shooting at the same time. There was another actor who I wanted um, that I was, I, I never had a conversation with, but I thought he'd be really great. This guy named Tuck Watkins, who is in sure. Uncoupled. Yeah. Much better actor than they allow him to be in Uncoupled. Um, He's so, I saw him in The Inheritance too. He has this certain type of gay guy that he plays really well. Um, he's good. He's really good. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. And, there, that too, and, and he would have been okay, but like, I mean, here's the deal. We shot this the first season for um, $28,000. Nobody, no actors got paid. Everybody, it was a SAG um, new media contract. And yeah. so everyone earning their, their salaries. If we sell the show, they'll, they'll be the first uh, people paid before anyone else gets money. Um, and so, so there was an actor who, um, I, I, he's, he's a great guy, but I'm just not going to say his name. He, it turns out that um, he was interested, but it turns out he didn't live in LA and we were going to have to fly him out. Right. And, put him um, and he wanted that just for the cast reading. Wow. All right. I was, I was fine about it because yeah, like why should you fly out on your own dime? But by the same token, I can't, we don't have the money to do that. Right. I just, I didn't know what to do. There was another uh, straight guy that I was considering who's an excellent actor, but I kind of didn't like the idea of, of a straight actor playing the part, you know, for all the obvious reasons. And um, my friends just said to me, um, you know, you, you wrote yourself basically a yeah. version of, so do it and we'll have your back. Well, I think you do a great job. I think you have great chemistry with the actor that plays Trevor. You're like the couple we root for. Um, although at the end of season one, big question mark in that relationship. Um, yeah. How do you feel about the acting now? Do you enjoy it? It feels like a whole different flavor of a challenge. It's always a challenge. It's always like, and I'm nervous and, um, you know, half the time, especially, you know, writing, directing, I had a, a full-time writing job at the same time. So um, I was working insanely on this other show and, um, right up until the day we started production. And so I never had time to learn my lines, which I wrote. So I was frantically trying to learn, learn my lines and direct and run the production. Um, so there's a stress factor that, uh, <laughs> my character has a lot of emotional scenes in season two. And I think, I think I was able to achieve what needed to be achieved in the performance just because I was so stressed. I was always on the verge of tears. Right. 
So um, was season two the one that you did right after you wrapped the other show, or was season one the one that you did? I'm sorry, season two. Season uh, the, two. So you went right from one job into season two. Yes. Yes. Wow. And, and that was my vacation time while I was shooting. And then I went right back to that job and they were pissed at me for having taken my contracted vacation. Wow. So a lot of pressure. What kind um, of, can I ask what the uh, other job is? Is it something we should watch for? Um, I will say um, just because of everything I just said before, I probably sure. shouldn't say what it is, but it, but it is a show that it'll be an animated show on Netflix. Right on. Uh, yeah. Nice. For, uh, for uh, girls, 10 to 14, something like that. Uh, we'll watch for it. Um, I do dream boards, and a dream board is in your credits, and it's like, you know, the house and the car and all of that stuff. But I do this. I have a thing about it. My listeners have heard about it. Um, do you have a take on it, or do you, have you done them yourself, or did you just think that was a good image for what you were trying to write about? Well, it's, it's I have done them not for a long time. I think I, last time I did one was probably... Uh, in the, hmm, maybe when I was living in Provincetown, 2007 to 2009-ish window. Right. Uh, but the, we had, I had a friend look at the show and um, he's a very successful television writer, producer, um, never hired me. Um, <laughs> it's so true. I, I feel like the show was made for me and I want to ask you later of how other people respond to it because I feel like it was just meant for me to shoot into my veins because it speaks so much to me. Um, so I get it. But yeah, you were, you were talking about dream boards. Yeah, so the, um, the title sequence, um, he felt that we needed to understand right away what the show was, um, and, but he didn't give me, he didn't have any idea how to do that. And so I started thinking about it and I thought, well, this is the shows that disappointments is about a bunch of guys who had these dreams of what their lives would be like in their twenties. And I thought, Oh, immediately, like it should be a dream board. It should be. Right. And then it all falls away and says the disappointments because none of that came true. So it's just a, a very simple visual of what the show's about. Right. Um, but, but they don't fall away. The, the, the last picture on the dream board stays and it's the three friends, which, and I love the three of you together. Um, can you talk about the other actors and the chemistry you have and what it's like when you're shooting those scenes? Yeah. Um, so in the, talking about the genesis of the show, that conversation that happened way back when at, at Merrick's, in fact, talking about God rest its soul, Jennifer, I always think of Jennifer Aniston when I think of Merrick's cause I heard that she likes it and that maybe you could see her there. Oh my God, I had the best exchange ever with Jay Leno there. Like, oh, I, I don't, I never watched this night show with him or whatever, but I was like, I love old cars. Right. And we ended up having this conversation and he came, I wrote him a note and just said, you know, I love your show on YouTube and I love classic cars and just thank you for doing that. I love to see your thing. And the waiter wouldn't deliver it to him. And I was on a date with some guy and um, he goes, I'll take it. And he rips it out of my hand to walk it over. And I'm like, oh my God. And I could see Jay Leno out of the corner of my eye. Um, talk to him and take the note. And then he takes his glasses out and he takes his phone to, to put the, 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 the light, light on it. He reads it and he gets right up and comes to our table and talks to me about cars. And um, at the end of the conversation, he said, so, so, so what do you drive? And um, I said, oh, I've got a 2007 Subaru Outback. He's like, what? Like he was so horrified that I like classic cars. And yet I drove this Japanese um, Subaru. Well, he should just give you one of his because he has a bunch of them. Um, I, and did the fact that that guy did that make you like him more? Did it make it a better date? 
Um, it was our only date. It was your only date. Interesting. But that wasn't what killed it. The Leno. No, it was. No. It was a friend vibe right away. Yeah, it was a friend vibe right away. Fair enough. Fair enough. But, um, but I, I, got, I got totally, you had a question. and I, I We totally were talking about Merrick's. Yes. Yeah, we so I, I had said, by the way, that's where we had had the conversation. And you were asking me about um, the, the chemistry and James and, and Gary yeah. Getty. So I, um, James was in that conversation. I've known James since, uh, 1992. Um, Getty, I met while doing, um, there was this thing called the forum, which was Est. Right. Est. I remember hearing about that. So, um, we met, he was sitting in front of me. We ended up having this conversation and we became really great friends. Um, and Getty is actually in that photo on the dream board with me. It's me and Getty and James. That's not James. We had a superimposed James face on right. the from Dan. Um, Cause I was looking at it going, that's a really good Photoshop. Cause you know, when, you know, you have to create photos for earlier in the story, some yeah. productions do it better than others, but I was like, that's a solid Photoshop, but you only Photoshopped one head. One head and the rest, are, the rest are real. All that curly black hair. That's mine. Um, Yes, yeah, so um, I've known them since Getty since the late 80s, James since uh, the early 90s. And so we just have a history. And um, it made, it just comes right through with the characters. So there's just seems to be a natural flow and chemistry when we're doing scenes where we're just, you know, sitting at a table talking. It's how we sit and talk. Um, and then Trevor, of course, came in um, later. I met him. Um, I didn't know Trevor at all. I, uh, uh, somebody had, there was another actor who was supposed to play the part named Tom Berkland, but he moved to New York. And uh, so that was that. And um, someone had mentioned to me that there's this actor um, who works at a bar called Trunks in West Hollywood, and I should check him out. So I go into the bar thinking I'm all like being, you know, all covert and everything. Right, and It's I, a secret mission. Mission. So I sit against the wall and I'm ordering my drinks from this other person, this other bartender, and just sort of watching how Trevor was with the clients because it was important that whoever got the part was a, um, just had a good spirit about them because this is a, you know, no one's getting paid. It was going to be like a guerrilla filmmaking. Um, and it had to be somebody who wouldn't be difficult. And, um, so I go up to get another beer from the bartender who I had been getting them from with that, he steps away and then Trevor rushes over to get my drink. And I was stupidly wearing one of our fundraiser t-shirts that said the disappointments on it. Right. So he said, um, the disappointments, what's that? And I said, it's, I just, (laughs) I just stumbled into a confession. It's like somebody who's like, I'm not going to tell the truth. Like, you know, throw them in the light on them and say, you're not going to get the truth out of me. And it just, bleh, just, you just told him the whole thing. I told him I was there to stalk him. Somebody told me about him that, uh, I was considering him for this part. We had a fun conversation and then, um, we met a couple days later, he read the script, loved it. And then the rest is, we just, we well, thankfully developed a really great friendship that, that spilled over into chemistry on the show. I like the way his character is written too. You do a great job with him. He's kind of like this puppy dog, kind of got this youthful energy, but he's also kind of kind and warm, quirky. Um, and also, I related, there's a conversation where you talk about all your ups and downs as a writer, pursuing that, and he just was good at code, and he got a job, and it just, I have a friend that's never heard no, um, mm. and is just coasted. He just picked the right thing, he was good at it, he's had the same job forever, loves it. And I'm like, what is that like? Like, I just... 
can't imagine that yeah. thing. Um, Nor can I. Yeah, but but yeah. those people exist, and they're not bad people. It's not just a different thing, and I like the combination that in this relationship of the artist and the the person that's got a different kind of job. Well, and it was fun for me because one of the things I wanted to do was flip it because everyone has this concept of daddy and boy, like the older guy is paying for everything for the younger guy and the younger guy is kind of quote unquote gold digger. And like people sort of don't look, they look down on him. Like the friends would look down on him. Right. And it's, it's raised the one with the financial troubles and Dwight who is 20 some odd years younger than him. Um, he just bought a house that he's renovating and that he, you know, makes all this money and is able to actually support Ray. So, and then of course that creates this power dynamic that's, um, uncomfortable for Ray because Dwight eventually is looking at Ray's, um, his finances and saying, you know, you're, you're paying too much on your sale bill. You, you, you shouldn't have all of these cable options and you shouldn't be valet parking your car at a restaurant, like all of this. And he's, and he's not wrong. That's the thing. Some people don't like his character because they feel like he's, um, he's being a jerk to Ray. And I think that he's actually being really loving and he's trying to help Ray to write the ship. And also he has a talent for that or a knack for it or like it's it's more in his wheelhouse. So maybe as a team they can make these changes. Um, mm. I took a course, you know, when I was really lost during that period of time I talked about, I started doing things at the Actors Fund. Uh, they have a lot of programs for people in entertainment, you know, computer this or whatever. And I took a managing cash flow for artists class. Free, six weeks, incredible teacher, uh, Miata Edoga, I'm, oh, she changed my life. And it helped me so much. But it was stuff like this, the credit cards and how to be an artist and the inconsistency of it. And it really did. <laughs> you wouldn't know it to look at my books, although they are better. They are much better. But um, it really it really changed my life. And it's an important skill to have. And nobody talks about it when you're growing up. Nobody t- teaches you about interest rates or how to balance a checkbook or any of that stuff. Well, certainly that wasn't my experience. It sounds like it wasn't your experience. I think some people do have parents that do that for them. Right. Um, but particularly, you know, parents who themselves were very smart about that. So they want to uh, sort of impart that knowledge to their kids, but I didn't get it. Yeah. I mean, we, that's not, my family wasn't like that. So, yeah. Oh. I, I appreciate people in this show talking about money and not having it, needing it, having it not like it's just so many shows they just have fabulous homes and you're like, how are they even living there? I don't understand. Um, your character has this great speech in episode two where he's like, how is this my life? And he sort of opens up about like where he is. What have you learned from writing this and where you are now about like how you think about that in terms of your own life? Because for me, I had to adjust what I thought happiness was or or what would make somebody happy i had to change my expectations because i i didn't get the stuff so if you don't get the stuff what do you do i think um i think ray is about 10 to 15 years behind rich interesting so i'm writing ray from my past experience right i'm a little bit more um at peace with what is and Trying to be, you know, someone who it's very hard to try to like live in the moment and accept things the way they are. And at the same time, have goals. Right. But not be- keep moving forward. Well, you keep moving forward and you have the goals, but you're not so attached to them 
that your entire identity and your entire well-being and your entire mindset and and just sort of mental health are attached to them. It's like, okay, this is the way things are and I accept it. There's no problem in this moment right now. Everything is fine. And this is something that I'd like to go for. Yeah. What what got you there? Eckhart Tolle. Interesting. Right, because I started doing, I started studying mindfulness. Um, mm. the, the science of happiness was a big thing for me. This free course at Yale, doing gratitude lists. Because, mm. you know, I think we're brought up to believe we'll be happy if we get what we want. That makes sense, right? But what if you don't? Well, are you just you supposed to not? Are you just supposed to not be happy? So I changed my thing. It doesn't matter what I get. All that matters is who I'm being, and that's what I tried to tie my well-being to. And sometimes it works. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree with you because I'm, you know, somebody who understands all of these concepts or really truths about how to be in life and how to be. Um, sort of grounded in the moment and being at peace and, and connecting to sort of this quiet, innate joy that exists, believe it or not, exists within all of us, but we, many of us don't have access to it because we have our minds in the past and the present and these things, you know, we just get into all these head yes. thoughts and, and we lose that, that joy that we were all sort of born with. We were talking about Eckhart Tolle because I've heard yeah. the name and I've seen quotes, but I've never actually done a deep dive or read any of his stuff. Is there something that he talks about that really resonates with you that you think about a lot? Um, well, he's got this book, The Power of Now, which was the first thing that um, his first book, and this the, uh, somebody gave it to me, and it just, I put it on a shelf, and then I went through this horrible breakup. I was lying on my back on the floor. I couldn't get up. I was crying, and I'm just sitting there, and I look up at the bookshelf, and I see the book, and I got up, grabbed it, laid down on the couch, started reading it, and I couldn't stop. It was just, it was just like, opening my mind and my spirit and my heart in this way. Like, and one of the things that's so profound to me, and it's just because it's not, it's, it's many people know this, but I did not, um, that literally there is no past. There is no present. They do not exist. Their concepts, their thoughts, thoughts in your mind. The only thing that exists is the present moment. And that's always the case. Like the present moment tomorrow will be the present moment. Um, so like, you know, we, we get all caught up in what happened. Um, it's done and, and it's, and it's only existing now as thoughts in your head. So I guess it just led me to recognize that I had the power to deinvest yeah. in thinking that I was doing like, okay, my mind is having those thoughts, but I don't have to grab onto them, engage with them and, and, and hold onto them. Like it's me. Yeah. There's something that resonates with, with that that I think about all the time, which is this quote that was in this mindfulness course that I took, which is, um, pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. And when I'm in a bad time, I think, okay, this is a bad thing that happened, but I don't have to suffer. I can mm-hmm. think, try to think differently. And that, that, that's something that has uh, been kind of a, a big thing for me, for sure. Um, the music in your show is fantastic. I want to talk about the music in the show. Um, Bright Light, Bright Light um, contributes a lot of it. How did that happen? Um, so Rod Thomas, um, his, well, under his Instagram is Bright Light, Bright Light. At some point, we started following each other on Instagram and um, developed this, this uh, kind of friendship. And somewhere along the lines, um, I reached out to him and said, look, I've got in season one, um, there's a character who is taking his 
successful sitcom and turning it into a Broadway musical. And I need to write a terrible Broadway musical song, something right. that's like so cliche. And would you be interested in, in helping me write that? Like I knew, I think what the lyrics roughly were going to be. And um, he, was, he loved the idea. And so he did it. And that's the song that um, Getty sings in, uh, in the last episode. Um, but then I just, you know, he did that and I was so grateful and, and, and so happy with it. And then I just said, Hey, you know, I got this concept, Rod, this idea, and I'm just going to, I think it was an email. I think I sent him an email. I said, um, you can obviously say no, because this is a giant ask, but um, I love your music so much. And I would love to have your music be uh, for our show, sort of the, the sound, the way that the Bee Gees were the sound of Saturday Night Fever and yeah. that sort of that soundtrack. I wanted Rod's music to do the same for us. Um, because I love the music, number one. And number two, there is a a 90s retro feel to his music, but it's also super, you know, it's contemporary today. But it, it feels like something that Ray and um, James and Gary could have been dancing to back in the day. Yeah. And so all of these, and just, the, you know, the joy in his music um, and the emotion, like uh, I freaking fell in love with and. Uh, the song that uh, happens in the last episode when Ray is sitting on the beach by himself. Yeah. Like, uh, it's so good. Beautiful. I, I remember when I first started watching it, I was shazamming a lot. And then I started looking at the credits. And I was like, oh, I follow that guy as well. Like, um, I, I like his music. And that's so cool the way he stepped up. And you know what else it is? It's gay. You can tell it's gay. It feels gay or something. Even before you listen to the lyrics, it feels like our music in a way. It's It's perfect. And that's one of the things I'm really happy about with the soundtrack. Um, the artists are all LGBTQ. So, um, you know, I don't advertise that so much. Um, you know, I'm saying this now. There, there's one person in particular who lives in a place where um, his life would be made very difficult if they knew. Wow. So uh, I've kind of outed him, but by the same token, I'm not using names. And there's yeah. multiple people, so they can try to yeah. figure that out. I've noticed in my own experience when you try to create something or like a short film or something, people want to be a part of something. What, but also doing this kind of a show is a huge undertaking. What have you mm. learned about people? Because you're probably asking, can we shoot at your house? Can you, like there's a lot of asks. There's a lot of that stuff. But then there's also these moments of grace where people are like, sure, I'll do this or whatever. What have you learned or observed about people from mounting this huge thing on such a small budget? I think it's kind of what you said. I think what I learned um, is that people will surprise you. They, they, they will often be, not everybody, um, you know, this one couple offered up their house. They came to me and said, we want you to shoot at our house. And then about maybe two weeks before we were supposed to shoot at their house, they rescinded the offer. Like, we're really just not comfortable. <laughs> Oh I know that's so I know I don't know why I laugh but it's just so it's sort of par for the course but yeah no yeah. it's and it's just you know it's 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 us gays sometimes how we can be and like we're all enthusiastic about something and then the reality sets in and you're like there's gonna be people traipsing through my house how right are you yeah you're gonna hear how many days yeah and then somebody else went to like in, in a um it's like, look, you know, I, I don't know if you can do this or if you know of anybody who can do this, but this is a situation. He goes, no, shoot at my house. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, there are people who there's another friend who let me shoot. His name is George Mariella. 
he owned a, um, he's retired since, but he owned a, um, a chiropractic business. And, uh, he allowed me to shoot in, in the building, in front of the building, behind the building and on the side of the building. And each one of those was a different location. So we were able to use his place as four different locations. Plus inside, we shot inside as well. And that was inside was two different locations. Amazing. Like the MVP of the location scene. Um, yeah. And it was kind of, he was so gracious about it. He's like, whatever, literally like, whatever you need, yeah. whatever you need. So. And that kind of, it makes you feel good about people in the world, I think, to mm-hmm. have experiences like that or to create something and see people come together. Because people want to feel a part of something, I think. It's, I think some people do. And I think particularly if they relate to, you know, when I would tell people what the show was about, if they could relate to it on some level, they wanted to be a part of the show. Um and then, you know, there, you can find, there are plenty of people who are, who are dicks, Yeah, uh, but I don't focus on that. What I focus yeah. on is other people who are like total gifts. Yeah. Um, that's with a T. I made it sound like a gif. Right. But they're so gifty that they could be turned into gifts and <laughs> that would be a very satisfying gif. Um, I mentioned before that this show was really right in my sweet spot in terms of the, the issues that I think about. What have the reactions been like generally? What what surprised you about the way people are, are responding to the show? Well, this may sound dumb. Um, I never even thought about what the reaction to the show would be. I just wanted to make the show. Yeah, you just wanted it to exist. Yeah, and so um, it's just sort of naive. And so what happened was this utter sort of overwhelm when we just started to get all of these comments from people talking about how much they related to it, how much it like helped them, how much, you know, people who are in relationships with a guy is older and the, and the one guy's older, one is younger and how that Ray Dwight relationship helped them. But even more, um, I've said this before, um, even more sort of impactful is hearing from people who live in countries where, being LGBTQ is um, against the law wow. to the point imprisoned or, or executed and that they have watched the show. And uh, quite a few people have said to me in comment, you can find the comments on YouTube that um, <clears throat> just seeing this show exists and seeing that these characters live their lives openly and their lives are not about being gay. It's not about that struggle. It's just about living. Um, gives them hope that someday they can experience life the same way. Yeah. That, I think me, that's beautiful. Yeah. That would, that's uh, I mean, <laughs> talk about unexpected. Yeah. Like, I don't think you see that coming um, with this. That's awesome. I love that. Um, your character's into fitness. You're obviously into fitness as well. When did that start for you? Were you always into that or was it something that came later? It's something that came a little bit later. I think I went to NYU and I started running around um, Washington Square Park. That was kind of like my first workouts. Um, that was in the 80s when you kind of had to run around Washington Square Park because if you walked, you were going to get mugged. Right. And then I moved out to L.A. and I um, had my first gay experience and um, sort of fell for this guy who was into working out at the gym. So I would go with him to the gym and then I just realized I love this. So um, I've just... Like I've been a member of Golds in Venice since uh, I think 1991, um, and just it's part of my lifestyle. It's what wakes me up in the morning and gives me energy and gets me through the day. And it's not about necessarily looking a certain way. That is a 
consequence or a, uh, you know, a plus that comes out of just the physical activity. Right. That, that's, it, it helps to like give energy to me and sort of makes my mind clear. Yeah. What was it like when you first got into it and started seeing the results? What, what, did people treat you differently? Did you feel a shift? Honestly, I don't really have any sense of being treated any differently about my physique or my looks until I started going very gray. And that had, or, or like, that's really when did, something shifted. That's when something shifted. Like the, the, in the gay community, I guess the, the, the daddy mantle was thrust upon me and, you know, I'm in decent shape. I'm 61 and, you know, I'm not like, you know, I'm in good shape for a 61 year old. And I think that that, um, ticks off a lot of boxes for people. Um, That's interesting. So you found that you were getting a certain different kind of attention uh, from, from people that maybe before you weren't in their sweet spot. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, when I dark, dark brown hair and um, you know, a decent build, I think my build is weird. Like I've gotten into better shape probably in my fifties and even sixties, honestly, um, than my forties. It just, um, I, got my diet right better. And, and I liked having that be sort of a weak, um, a weakness of Ray's where he's so desperate to sort of hold his body together and to like, he's got to work out. That's his only way to stay even a little bit. What's his line? It's, it's, he talks about his sanity. It's really tied to his sanity. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people relate to that. And um, I, th- I think, I just think it's an interesting part of the show and the way that it's, it's shown and depicted I noticed in one of your um, interviews, I think you talked about where the bears are and talking to those gentlemen. I know those guys. Yeah. Um, did they give you like tips for how to do a web series? Like, what did you know going in in terms of the web series of it all? Not the production or the writing or the acting, but the marketing and the YouTubing. What did you know and what did you have to learn? Nothing. I didn't even know web series existed. What happened was, is I wrote a, um, a pilot script that is the first two episodes of the disappointments that you see. That was one episode um, of the script. And um, I was dragged by an actor friend named Chuck Sakula to a web series that he was in that was being, um, the whole thing was being shown in in a theater at the AFI, I think. Um, And I was like, all right, Chuck, I'll go with you. But like after your episode, can we sneak out the back? And he's like, yeah. And I've got to say within the first minute and a half of watching this thing, I was like, holy shit, this is good. This is like, this is television. This is, the quality was so high. Um, And I spoke to the creator afterwards. His name was Walt Bost. And uh, again, it was called The New 30. I know Walt. uh, I've had them on the podcast. Walt and John Sobrak. Yeah, they're friends. So Walt was the first person I ever met, total stranger, um, who did a web series and he agreed to super generous with his time. We, we went out and had lunch and talked for like two and a half hours. And he told me his, his you know, his, his um, web series for dummies basically. Right. Of, and that, that made me like seeing his show and then talking to him just made me think, you know what? Then this is no way in any way, like uh, a diss on wall, but I just said, there's nothing different between me and him, except he did it. Right. Like, so I'm going to, if, if he can do it and, and, you know, he's super talented and I don't and have to acknowledge that, but, um, 
if this guy was able to pull together, I can find my way to pull together as well. And so I took the, that script and um, I season one was actually six episodes. Then there were 25 to 30 minutes long each. And I chopped it up for YouTube because once we realized it was going on YouTube, um, knowing that people's attention spans on there aren't that great. It just felt like it needed to be in a little more nuggets. Yeah. So the episode currently the longest one is 20 minutes and the shortest one is eight minutes, I think. Um, but so it was being exposed to Walt's show. And then I spoke to a couple of other people who did web series as well. But, um, the other one who was super, super generous with his time was Joe Deedle from, um, where the bears are total strength reached out to him, said, Hey, you know, I loved your show. I binge watched the entire thing. What they did was so incredible, uh, very different than our show, but like, you know, I'm a firm believer that there is a place or anything that's of decent and, you know, solid quality that brings representation, no matter what the tone is or the storylines or the characters. And um, so I love that show. And we had a, again, total stranger. We met for coffee and he sat with us for about three and a half hours and just talked. How does this web series and the work you've done on it intersect with your regular work as a writer do are they two different worlds or are they do they complement each other uh you know i think they complement each other i think um you know oftentimes the things that i'm hired to write are um not necessarily a passion project um so it's great to have this to go back to because this is 100 a passion project and it's it'll always be mine and it'll always be my expression unfiltered um so then, you know, then I have to write some teenage girl mermaids. And that's good too. We all have it, a teenage girl mermaid in us. I have a pussycat doll. I have a Britney Spears backup dancer. I have all of the, all of the hot girls basically are in me. Um, who's been your most surprising fan? What's the, the response that you thought, well, that was unexpected? Well, a couple things. One is um, I love the fact that you know, these main char- th- three main characters are gay men. And yet I hear from um, cisgendered men and women, um, how much that they relate to it. That, um, I mean, I love the fact that for instance, Trevor's dad, you know, this is closer to the show. We get people, total strangers commenting, but Trevor's dad is a construction worker, totally straight dude, you know, with like a Pabst blue ribbon baseball cap on and like the race car, T-shirt graphics. Right on. Trevor is the actor that plays your love interest, Dwight. Right. Yeah. And he um, he saw it and loved it and totally he related to it. He could relate to what the characters are going through, to the older characters are going through. But we get a lot of um, women. Um, I think, you know, women, first of all, even more than, they're more comfortable than a lot of straight men are with uh, watching um, gay content and um they totally relate to it. They, they like are sort of super fans of some of the characters. Um, so that's fun. And I think, I mean, this isn't quite the same category as what you're asking, but, um, the show, the first season won the humanities prize in uh, this past year, 2022, which is, um, a very prestigious award given to, um, what, as they refer to as excellence in television writing, Congratulations. That's a big deal. It's the first web series ever to win one, which was kind of shocking. Um, and uh, <laughs> that was, you know, I never, 
thought about that. And, and, you know, I had, I had heard of the humanities prize before, but um, Trevor was the one who found this Barbara Walters quote that said, what's the Nobel peace prize is to, um, I guess, scientists. Right. That's correct. Pulitzer is to novelists. Humanities is to television writers. And I'm like, thank you, Barbara. That's like the highest. She got that in before she went. That's amazing. Did you know you were up for it, or did you just hear that it, you won? Did you get to go to a ceremony? Went to a ceremony and, and won a ten thousand uh, dollar prize, which was for me, but I put it directly into the show. Amazing. Uh, did you get to give a speech? I did. Um, you, if you care to, if, um, I have an Instagram. It's called uh, Hey Rich Ray. Okay. H-E- C-H, my name and Ray, which is my middle name, which is the character's name. Right on. Um, you go there and you can find the entire speeches posted there in a, in a reel. Um, and it was great. It was an opportunity for me to thank all of the people who supported the show, in particular, people from around the world who um, donated, um, in this case, for that first season. Because, I mean, we literally got donations from, you know, Russia when it was good, um, you know, Eastern Europe, from Malaysia, from thailand from some from saudi arabia from south africa um and you know the u.s and european countries so it's like and this was off of zero footage we did a couple funny little videos but there was no show we just talked about what the show was going to be and we were able to raise in total before we had to pay out the the fees for the indiegogo campaigns platforms uh site i think we raised thirty four thousand dollars that's incredible yeah off nothing off of nothing. An idea. Now, the Humanist Prize, I've, I've heard of it. And doesn't it, doesn't it sort of resonate with social issues? Is it because of the, the suicide element, or was they just like the quality? It, it's about writing that helps move forward um, things in, uh, it, through, the, through the writing moves forward and into or gives a, a portrayal of certain social elements. Right. Whether it's, the, you know, the characters being older gay men, but also right. the suicide. Um, aspect of it so i think it was the entire um kind of all of the themes that happened in the show was right up their alley yeah so um it was it was a huge honor and what did you wear did you rock a tux what were you what was the suit oh <laughs> i own one suit it's Good. a it's dark blue calvin yeah. Klein that seems to it shows up in season two it showed up in season one it shows up um i love it because I look at younger gays who show up with a lot of different really colorful suits and a lot of different Instagrams, and I'm like, how many fun, colorful suits do you have? can one person have? I'm like, right. I'm a little old school that way. Um, right. Speaking of old school, I'm at that age, close to where you are, where, I'm, where I often think every day, can I still do things? Can I still fall in love? Can I still make things happen? Like, is it over? Like... I don't know. I think it's a, a window where your characters are all at. Like, can I still make these dreams come true? Do I just try to have to cover my ass? Like, what do you think about being this age? What have you learned from taking on this huge project at this time? Um, I want reassurance that it's not all over for me, Rich. <laughs> that, that all the great stuff's already happened. Uh, that we're all, we're just coasting to the end. Uh-huh. I choose to believe that if you have passion for something um, and that you have the, uh, the drive that you can make it happen. So um, 
you know, my goal for season two is to actually sell it. Like I season two, it's, it's so much more ambitious. Again, it's eight episodes, 25 to 30 minutes long. So it's something that could live on a streamer and fit right in. So tell people how they can watch your show. And also we want to mention your fundraising campaign for season two. Well, thank you. Um, so the show is available to watch on YouTube for free. It's um, called the, our channel is the, the disappointments web series. And you can find that super easily log in through your own um, um, YouTube account, because if you don't, YouTube will hide from you episode five and episode 10. And they do that because episode five is um, content restricted because there is um, gay sex in it. I say gay sex because I'm not sure they would have done that had it been straight sex. And um, episode 10 has some, uh, some drug simulated sure. drug. Yeah. We're at a house so, in the Hills with some assholes. Somebody's going to yeah. bring something out. It happens. Some cocaine. Yeah. yeah. Fake. It's actually really funny about that. It was actually, um, lactate lactose powder. Okay. And the person who was doing the actor who was doing the most of the Coke and doing this one line over and over again, Coke, I'm doing air quotes. Um, turns, he, he said at one point, what is this, by the way, what am, what am I snorting? And, which I love that he didn't ask for like the first 10 minutes of yeah. shooting. Now a warning. It's very, um, that's, that becomes her. Um, well, extremely lactose intolerant. Oh, shit. Literally. How did it go? Um, yeah. What did you use for fake vomit? Because um, there is a fake vomit scene in the movie, in the show. It was a beautiful concoction of oatmeal and um, pea soup. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, Hold in my mouth. Oh, there it is. What can you tell us about the themes you're looking at in season two? A little sneak preview. Um, we are looking at similar. We're growing, we're moving on beyond. So um, one of the fun things is that in season two, every character, Ray, Gary, and James all find themselves in a work situation of varying levels. And um, it's all about <clears throat> how they how they manage that, how they fit in, um, you know, is Ray gets a writing job, but he's the oldest man in the room by far. Like, what is that like? What does he face? It's going to be worky stuff, lovey stuff, funny stuff. All of that. But the worky stuff is um, absolutely tied into things that we experience at this age. Yeah. And choices that we make in those experiences, do we stay with it or do we do the thing to save our soul? Oof. I've been there. I get it. I get it. All right. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. Everyone needs to go watch The Disappointments and help out uh, get this season two finished so we can all watch it. Thank you. The fundraiser is listed on our YouTube channel all over the place. It is on my Instagram, on my um, my bio. Uh, you've you've to- talked about meeting a few different people through Instagram that, that were instrumental in the series. What's the Instagram post that you did that was the most surprising in terms of its reaction? Like, was there something you ever posted where it was like, wow, whether it has to do with the show or something else? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the wows is just how people responded to the post for the first season about the show and about the fundraising when people showed up. That was kind of cool. Yeah. It's very cool because you just think nobody's going to, I think your fear is nobody's going to care about this. Or you you just wonder what's going to, what's going to come of it. Um, so that was, that was nice. And then, um, I did a post for my, I think it was my 59th birthday, um, where I'm literally in my birthday suit, sitting on a chair and talking about um, what it's like to be a 59-year-old writer 
and um, being unemployed and dealing with ageism. Um, and it got a lot, of, I got a lot of messages on that. I got a lot of private messages on that and people talking about their own experiences and it really hit a nerve with yeah. a lot of people. That was, that was interesting. Yeah, um, I need to go and look at that. I think I'll relate to a lot of it for sure. Um, well, and it, the, the good news about that is like I posted it and I was, you know, I was putting out to, I do, I am a believer of putting your intentions out into the universe and doing the hard work. It's not just about putting the intentions out and then sitting back and, and watching the crown on Netflix. Yeah. Um, and I did that about getting a, a job, something that I would really enjoy doing. And, um, within like three or four weeks of doing that, I got an email from a random guy who found me through, um, my credits on another Netflix show. And he wanted to connect me with this company who was looking for someone to develop a show idea that they had about, um, mermaids, current day mermaids. And that led to, I came up with the idea. They loved it. We sold it to, uh, Netflix for two seasons off of the strength of the pilot script I wrote. And, um, so that's all to say, put your intentions out there, follow through on them. And, um, maybe someone will sprinkle fairy dust on you. That's amazing. Like it's still, still can, stuff can still happen if you put it out there. Um, is it animated or live action? It's animated. Animated. It's currently called mermaids magic of the deep, which sounds like a, um, a ride exhibit that you might find at Disneyland. Um, but it's a cool show. It's got, it's about these mermaids in present day who are on this mission to do something. They come to the surface. They have to mix with the surface people. And it's got, uh, my pitch was that it was going to have an element where it felt a little bit like Buffy, the vampire slayer with mermaids. Yeah. I'm in. So here's my final question, Rich. Um, what has it meant to you in your life to have the disappointments to, to have created it and to continue working on it? It's, um, it is the creative highlight of my life. It's it, because it's me and it's because I pulled all these people together, whether they're people from around the world who contributed or the people who are on the set with me, um, the crew shooting or the, the cast, being able to stand, having written these scripts by myself, you know, sitting at this desk, the, the lonely task of writing. And then many months later, being able to stand in the middle of chaos and just taking a moment and turning, doing a 360 and looking at all of everything that's happening while we're shooting, like everybody doing their job and everybody like committed and focused and, you know, none of them making their day rate. We don't pay them that much, but they're just passionate about the project. And just having this sense of like, wow, I created this thing and it's literally taken on a life of its own. It's beautiful. You know, I think when we're younger, we think if we create things, it might lead to this or that or this or that. And the older I get, I'm like, no, it's just what it is. And that's the joy of it. It doesn't have to be, it's not about the stepping stone of it. It's the thing itself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I would love for the show to catch on and for it to be picked up by a streamer. I mean, that is the goal for this season. But um, the the joy of it is making the show. Like that's the only reason why I want to do that is because I never want to have to do a fundraiser again. I would love for a network to pay for the show. Yeah. And I everyone who works on the show to get paid their day rate, the yeah. proper rate. Yeah. And, you know, so everyone gets their love. Um, but I will just say this about season two, it's eight episodes. I sat down to start writing the season one script and over the course of, um, I would say two and a half months, I wrote all of the episodes back to back, starting page one, finishing at page, you know, 30, whatever it might've been. 
never looked at it again. The, it, every episode came out um, exactly the way I wanted it to. I didn't have to do any rewriting. We brought it to the set. There was no question from the actors or anybody. And I say that only in that, um, I don't mean that to be bragging, but it's the sense of a pure connection to the material and to the characters is what I'm so happy about and why I feel so grateful and connected to this project. You feel like you're doing what you're meant to be doing. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, I'm inspired by you. I can't wait to see season two. So fun talking to you, Rich. Thank you so much for, uh, for doing this and good luck with everything. All right, Dennis. Thank you. This was really fun. Um, Thanks again to Rich Burns. So glad we finally made that interview happen. Check out the disappointments on YouTube. All right. So this happened. Okay. So I have a condo in North Hollywood, California. I've had it a long time. And I have a dog named Enzo. And one night, like, I don't know, a month and a half ago, he starts barking at the little laundromat. It's it's just a little laundry room, like a little, it's like a closet that opens up and there's a washer and dryer in there. Your basic condo thing. And he's barking, barking, barking. I'm like, what is going on? So it turns out there's a possum behind the dryer. <laughs> I may have talked about this already on the podcast, but I have an update. So there's a possum behind the dryer and I... It's chewed through the little tube that attaches to the wall that goes through the vent that that goes outside. So the heat and the lit and stuff go outside from the dryer. So it's chewed through that tube, and now it is hanging out in my house. So I think we get rid of it. We think it's gone. And then, you know, I move stuff behind there. It turns out it looked like it was building a nest. And uh, so we we think we got rid of it. And I fixed, I reattached the tube thing as best I could. And I thought, okay, that's that's it for now. We're done. And every time we'd come into the house, Enzo would run over there and sniff, 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 and see what's going on, see if that possum was back. And sure enough, <laughs> he comes back one time while my housekeeper's here, which is she's calling me at the car wash, and my phone's not working. Like It's just a mess. And I come home, and ugh. yeah, the, the, the possum is back. And then we think we get rid of it again. Long story short, I ended up having to have... A guy come out to put a cover over the vent outside so that the possum could not get in and also repair the hose that attaches to the wall, right? And so he comes over, he's doing it. The possum's back. He's there. So the plumber guy is like, or the the repairman is like, I'm out. I'm not dealing with that animal. So I uh, get a a broomstick and kind of prod it to go back out the hole that it came in on. So we get it out the tube and then we clean it out and the area and again he started building some kind of nest or something and the guy blows, because I guess they clean these tubes as part of their service and he's blowing air out and he tells me that he was the, he had to the, the possum got right to the edge of the tube so he could see him, but he wasn't coming out. He was like, this is my house. So he had to kind of prod him, too, to get him out of the hole. And then we covered it up with uh, a vent and a flap that'll hopefully keep him out. But I felt I felt kind of bad because, you know, that possum was, like, into his house. Like, this is, he was like, this is it. Um, like, he was, it was the W Hotel as far as he was concerned. But we didn't kill him, at least, and he didn't die in the tube because that would have been a lot more expensive. But I still ended up writing a check for $600. I mean, you know, but there was possum. You have to deal with a live possum. I feel like I didn't have a lot. I didn't have a lot of room to, you know, haggle 
uh, on the price. <laughs> Plus, I was super stressed. I, it was a super stressful work day, and I was on the phone with one of my producers, like, I'm like, I'm sorry, there's a possum in my laundry. I can't. I have to talk to you later. It was a lot. But that chapter is over. I feel like the, the possum chapter is over. I feel like the, you know, the sheriff's wife at the end of Jaws, maybe, or something that's like, okay, that's done. But they always come back, don't they? <gasps> I hope that doesn't happen. All right. That's enough for this week. Thank you so much for listening. I want to give a shout out to AJ Sousa for mixing the episodes. My theme music is by Mark Daniels for placement music. We'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye. Bye.